Welcome to Healthcare Mixtape, where we're curating the ultimate playlist of healthcare content that you may have missed the first time. Here we share bonus episodes and greatest hits from some of our favorite shows, as well as exclusive interviews with industry insiders, all focused on healthcare changemakers and the disruption of the now. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. I'm Jared Johnson, your playlist curator, and it's time to mix it up. Hey there, today we continue our Greatest Hits collection where we're replaying some of the top episodes from Healthcare Wrap and other podcasts. Our episode today is titled Our Manifesto for Consumer First Health and it originally aired in February 2022. This was our 200th episode of the Healthcare Wrap and it was one of our biggest to date as we welcomed an all-star panel of guests, Victor Rice from UNC Health, Jill McCormick from Bay State Health, and Terry Sun from White Rhino. The panel gave a preview of the Consumer First Health Manifesto, an open letter to the healthcare industry outlining what needs to change to make the consumer experience easier and how to realistically get it done. One note, since this episode originally aired, the manifesto has been published, so we'll link to it in the show notes. We hope you find this whole episode super high value. Check it out. Let the mix begin. All right, let's get into the flow, people. This is going to be something new, something different, and I'm not going to call it a panel discussion. Maybe it's an unpanel. This is a group of friends chatting, and we're going to share a preview of something that organically just kind of came up. And I've got to give a quick backstory about this, and I'm going to introduce our guests here. But let me set this up really quick. So we have this group called the Consumer First Health Group. I've mentioned it here a number of times, but we're having monthly calls. We're talking about how to make healthcare more consumer friendly. We're talking about how to actually write the consumer health playbook and what that means for all the different players in healthcare. But it came up recently that we were just talking about like kind of how do we share what we're talking about with the rest of the world? And I actually had notes from a couple of different people in the group, uh, Ben Tingey and James Gardner, both separately asked like, hey, should we do something like a manifesto where we're sharing our thoughts about kind of where we're coming from, the things we see that can be improved in the world and what we intend to do about it. And of course, this is kind of how this group works is that the answer was, yeah, so let's do this. Let's invite whoever wants to be a part of this. And our guests today are some of those who offered and, and wanted to be a part of creating a manifesto. So we're going to give a preview of what that means. And let me welcome our guests here today. First and foremost, we've got Zane. Uh, Zane's back. I also want to welcome Jill McCormick. She's the Director of Design and Innovation with Bay State Health and TechSpring. I also want to welcome Victor Rice. He's the Vice President for Consumerism, Insights, and Growth Marketing at UNC Health. And we've got Terry Sun, who's the Chief Strategy Officer with White Rhino. Let me just set us up a little bit. Let me give each of you a chance to kind of give us a quick little icebreaker. And our question is going to be, name one thing that gets you out of bed every morning. Zane, I'm going to give you a first shot at this one. And then why don't we go in the order, Jill, then Victor, then Terry. And then we're going to dig into this, this whole manifesto idea. But what's one thing that gets you out of bed every morning? For me, well, this might sound dumb, but like literally coffee. I am a coffee connoisseur. And I will be honest, there are some nights I go to bed just excited to wake up and have some type of sweet or pastry with my coffee and watch the news. So that's what gets me out of bed every morning. And what's your preferred brew there? If you had to pick one. I like, I'm a big fan of like Starbucks's dark roast. I don't know if that makes me, but it's one of my favorites. That sounds great. 
Jill, what's something that gets you out of bed every morning? Quite literally, it's Wordle. I'm in a group of people that are Wordle nerds. And by invitation only, you're welcome to join. But you have to write a haiku to get into this group. And a lot of them are early risers. And so they blow up my phone in the morning. So it inspires me to get up. And uh, I'm now sort of a morning person because of it. Amazing. All right, Victor, you're up. So in full disclosure, my alarm goes off at 4.15 a.m. And as you can imagine, right around 4.25, I'm enjoying my cup or it's actually a double espresso shot. So that is my treat for waking up at 4.15 before I go to the gym, uh, have a wonderful cup of espresso. Fabulous. All right, Terry, let's hear from you. I, I'm not a coffee drinker. I like orange juice. But the thing that really gets me up is the excitement of the things that I can do to change how I'm going to wake up differently the next day in terms of the impact I can have on the world. And I get excited to check my Google News feed and see what are the new conversations that are happening around technology, around the metaverse, around what's going on in healthcare, and then being able to apply that in that day and then have the next day look very different than that. So it changes every day. It really does, doesn't it? Super. All right. So let's dig into this. Let, let's get into this. So this whole thought of we're going to give a preview of what this manifesto is all about. I will tell you when when this seemed a little daunting of a task at first, once I started trying to put some thoughts in, I, I for me, the the part that I that I came up with was I just started dictating. I literally just, hey, Siri, you know, I got stuff to say. So I just started dictating. I put a note on my phone. And some of the the things really revolved around this, this very first question of why should healthcare be more consumer focused? Like, why aren't we okay with the way it is? Why do we need to change in the first place? Who wants to get us started on this one? This is very macro. Like, why do we need change at all? I can start. And maybe I'll just share with our listeners. So my perspective comes not just from like U.S. healthcare, but Canadian healthcare. And, you know, the thing that drives me the most nuts is healthcare in general, especially traditional healthcare, is highly, highly subsidized by the government, even in U.S. healthcare. And in my opinion, it's just not delivering what it needs to for the amount of tax dollars that ultimately come from you and I at some point for the amount of money that flows into it. And so there's this huge like value equation that isn't working on behalf of taxpayers and consumers and it needs to change. And so we would never, you know, give Starbucks thousands of years, thousands of dollars a year from our, our, our money, if you will, and then not expect to get a cup of coffee every day or the right, you know, you know, maybe it's a latte or, you know, Victor likes espresso, but in healthcare, we allow that to happen where, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars flow into these places, but we're not really getting the value out of it that we want, both from a medical side or clinical side. And so outcomes aren't terribly great in Canada or the U S and from the consumer side, I would argue in general, you know, most people have pretty terrible experiences like, consumer experiences with healthcare. And so that's where my head is at in all this. I love that saying, the idea that the value equation is, is out of balance. One thing that we've always said is that if there's one place, one industry where people should be treated with compassion, with respect, with empathy and have an amazing experience, it's in healthcare, but it's the industry that perhaps is the worst experience. And just with the fact that we call them patients, no patient wants to be defined sure. by their disease or their condition. They, they don't want to, I'm not, I, you know, I don't want to be known as a cancer patient or, you know, I want to be known as a, as a person and, and be treated that way. Simply put, 
the stakes are high. For healthcare to be consumer focused or not consumer focused, I like to uh, compare healthcare to the snow mountain and snow melts from the edges. And so that snow mountain that we know as traditional healthcare, it is slowly melting at the edges. If you consider a couple of factors, going back to Zane and Terry, you all had mentioned consumer experience. I believe there was a study two years ago, and I believe it still applies today, that 81% of consumers were dissatisfied with their experience. I didn't say 8%, 81%. There's another study out that also showed that the average wait time to see a family physician is at 29 days. So that doesn't include the actual days and time when you try to align your calendars. And by the time you do that, it might be at six to eight weeks. The second is that the market size is too large to ignore. Healthcare is a $4.2 trillion market. So what does that mean? It represents an attractive market opportunity for non-industry participants. Third, follow the money. Look at the private equity and venture capital investments. You want to know why healthcare needs to be consumer focused? Uh, last year, I believe there was $42 billion that was pumped in by venture capitalists around healthcare technology. So I'll conclude there is that the stakes are too high, consumers are suffering, and also other industry participants, they see this as a lucrative market opportunity. Remember you said there, Victor, I can definitely confirm, having been in Breckenridge this past weekend in the mountains, that snow definitely melts from the edges on the mountain. I'd never heard that before. It's brilliant. That's funny, Zane. I was just going to add that from a, from a personal perspective, I just think about the time that we, we as consumers waste um, trying to navigate the care that we need and sort of how we're not necessarily considered in the, the sort of the care navigation component of care and really, you know, whose value are we measuring when we're measuring the, when you talked about sort of the value and the extraction of value in the system as a person, I'm not productive or efficient if my care isn't, isn't well-maintained. And also the ripple effect of like, if, if someone in my family is not experiencing quality care and what that has on society, you know, as we sort of look at it and extrapolate it out. And it's just not sustainable when we even think about it from the staffing perspective, you know, the workforce inside healthcare is unsustainable right now with the, you know, the great resignation and some of the terms that we're hearing, but it's been a broken system that is absolutely being called to light right now. And a lot of things are really obvious about it. And part of it is, is because consumerism is sort of pervasive throughout all of the industries that we participate in. And we're starting to demand more, require more, and basically are, are you know, fed up with the way that it's working and saying it doesn't have to be this way. I've heard recently Aaron Martin from Providence from their digital innovation group. I mean, he wrote it the way he described it as we're on an unsustainable trajectory. He's not the first one to say that, but he was pertaining directly to new digital models of care and digital health platforms. And so the $42 billion figure, Victor, that you mentioned, I mean, that's very real. That was a record. It almost doubled the previous year's record for how much had ever been pumped into digital health in particular. And what I've seen is that across the industry, people see that in one of two ways. They either see everything as a threat or they see some opportunities in there. And I think that kind of leads me to this next question for all of you, which is, 
what does it even mean to be consumer first? Because there's an opportunity for us to even describe that. I think even in our in our group discussions in our community, we've recognized that that we don't have an agreed upon definition of what consumer first care means. The capital C consumerism term gets used by every part of healthcare in a slightly different way. And some have just become numb to it because we've talked about it so much. And I'm like, well, until the experience improves enough, we need to keep talking about it. So let's not get, you know, fatigued by the term itself. But what about this in particular about being consumer first? Like, what does that mean? Like, what what specific changes? Let's drill down here a little bit. What specific changes do we need to see in the industry to be consumer first? Jared, if I can jump in there, I just think it's really clever and and important to note that you use the word consumer first and not consumer centric, right? And I think that when I think about consumer first, I think about experience first, healthcare. And so I think that that's a fundamental shift that needs to happen is like, we need to consider experience. What we know about experiences, what we understand about the current state of people's experiences on all sides, you know, if we just stick with the sort of patient journey, for example, you know, what are the experiences? that they are having and how are those, if you're thinking about it from a health system or if we're not even designing it from a health system per se, is like then once we understand the current state of the experience, how do we start thinking about, well, what should the future state look like as the first step in defining what operations and our digital tools may be? All too often, it's either digital that's driving that conversation around like, here's the digital requirements that we'd like to do. And when you back into that, you can't really change the experiences because you've hardwired a specific set of operations or a specific set of digital and can't undo that. And so if you're thinking about consumer first or experience first, I think what we need to change is really about understanding where we want to go and where that future is before we start hard coding, you know, the operational and and digital drivers. I like that. You know, one thing I think about Jared is going back to, I guess you'd call him a mentor and inspiration of mine, a gentleman by the name of Gerard Ben Grinsfin, who used to be the vice president of food and beverage for the Ritz-Carlton. And then he built Henry Ford Health Systems uh, Hospital in West Bloomfield, Michigan. And sort of, he didn't use the term consumerism. It kind of preceded him or postdated him. But he would always go around talking to us about building a health system that was anchored around the expressed and unexpressed desires and needs of patients and ultimately community. And so when I think about, you know, what consumerism really is, to me, it's that, which I think connects you know perfectly with what Jill just said is really focusing on like really, really understanding people beyond just their clinical identity um, so that you can build services around their emotion, their spirituality, you know, what their actual clinical need is, and then being able to also sort of zoom out and do the same thing for the community in which some of these, you know, big health organizations actually operate and exist in. And so that's how I think about it. That idea of unexpressed needs of patients and and really people is so important. It's why I get so excited about the consumer first health group and why that is formed because it's really about making sure that that voice is at the table. Often, again, healthcare decisions are being made by government business and not always from that uh, consumer, you know, the patient's perspective. And so making sure that their voice is out there. And that's what I see as this group and this manifesto is say, these are the things that patients need and allowing the industry, you know, it's so fragmented 
so siloed and everybody's working on different things. And you know, I do believe everybody in healthcare is trying to work towards a common goal and, and they do have the best interests of patients in mind, but they don't always have the patient voice represented there. So if we can at least make sure everybody has the same information as they're marching towards those goals. And then long-term, hopefully they break down those silos and they're marching together, not in separate silos. I'm loving this. We are all uh, kindred spirits. If I could just add to the conversation, it's that in order for us to be consumer first, and I know we all will agree with this, is that we have to move beyond the narrow view of healthcare. I believe there is a default mindset is that yes. it is a patient that sits in a doctor in the exam room. And there are 525,600 minutes in a year. So once again, 525,600 minutes in a year. Let's say that an average person has four doctor's visits in a year with an average of 15 minutes a year. How can today's healthcare system is really built around that episodic care of maybe an hour to maybe four hours a year? But what is that human? So let's even take it to the human level. What is that person doing for those other 525,540 minutes of the year? That's where we need to move. And that means we have to expand the definition of health, moving beyond the four walls of a medical facility or a hospital and really understand what are the needs and the behaviors and the mindsets of that individual, also the consumer, what are they struggling with? How are they making decisions? How are they attempting to make health fit into their busy lifestyle? Is when we arrive at that point, now we have a better understanding and even more of a motivation for us to move rapidly towards being consumer first. Well, I love that, Victor, because we're kind of implying that healthcare is more than sick care, episodic care, like we mentioned, and it, it is ultimately becoming less hospital centric, regardless of whether we want that or not. There are so many other aspects of any consumer's individual health journey. You know, we can phrase it however we want, but the things that we wake up in the morning thinking about related to our health and wellness, it doesn't typically involve, this is generalizing because it's very different based on everyone's individual healthcare needs. But in general, I would say the majority of us are not waking up in the morning thinking, all right, yeah, when's the next time I get to see the doctor? You know, <laughs> so we're just not building our lives around that. Well, and I think, Jared, too, one of the like the core principles of of sort of hospital centric medicine is really about do no harm. And I agree with that, that once the patient is presented, do no harm. Right. But we don't take responsibility for the time, you know, maybe in between visits, we're starting to sort of look at that. But the time that somebody is spending, you know, not because of the barriers that they may face or the information that they may not have, or the impulse or motivation to go actually like turn that into a visit, that we're sort of doing harm in some ways because we're not getting them sooner when we, yeah. when we could have had them, you know, in a different, completely different health trajectory, had you engaged them appropriately earlier and really, you know, met their needs. You know, is harm when you're diabetic? Like, what responsibility do we have as society to sort of look at that and think about that, that component of it as health? Mm-hmm. I argue that those moments between visits are more important than the visit itself because health is an everyday thing. It's the most 
basic human need. Our bodies are striving for health and they're amazing, res amazingly resilient. When we get to the hospital, when we have to go in for a doctor visit, it's because there's a symptom. It's because our body is giving us a signal that something's wrong. But if we can have an impact on health in those in-between moments, maybe we can prevent and then yeah. lead to those better outcomes. Man, I really like what you guys just brought up. And so it really hits home for me like now. So my grandmother, who's what, 85, honestly, probably is getting towards is getting towards the end of her life. She has pretty bad cardiac issues and is currently trying to get them solved for the Canadian health system. And thank God my mother's a nurse and I know healthcare a little bit enough to help her like wayfind and you know figure out where she needs to go. But what has been the most tragic thing as a grandson to witness is just the mental anguish she goes through, kind of not really knowing what's coming next or when the physician's going to call or what, you know, what does it really mean to get stints put in? Or, you know, she had to go to the ER the other day because, you know, she, she had chest pain. Turns out she just pulled a muscle and had nothing to do with the cardiac work she did. But there was all this like unknown that was like literally driving her to death because she has terrible anxiety too. And to me, that's something that's never like taken into account when we think about improving health systems is how do we you know, decrease sort of that mental anguish that many people face as they even think about interacting with the health system. Many can get even more deep into it, like the financial burdens we put on people and so on and so forth. And so completely hear you there. That's such a good point. I think we're even in the process of this conversation, we're changing our perspective a little bit just by hearing one another's perspectives. I mean, this is just one of the, the tenets, if you will, of this document, as well as the community it's representing, I can almost direct this to like a web 3.0 mentality versus like a web 2.0 where sure, sure. There, there's hive mind to call it whatever you want, but we can get to a better place by co-creating a solution, which starts with having a conversation that we all recognize. There's not like the one expert in the room and we're all just listening. You know, this is a very multifaceted conversation that everyone has something to bring and that together is changing our perspectives. I think that kind of leads me to this next question, which is kind of what do we do about it, right? What actions do we as a community plan to take to lead to some of those changes? We're talking about some pretty big, substantial challenges, things that a lot of different people have attempted to fix or resolve or implement or, or incrementally improve to some degree. We want to add to those and not downplay any of those efforts, but we see this kind of unique opportunity, like there's kind of a, a unique perspective that we have an opportunity to help. So what are some of those actions and some of those changes that we hope can come about by the work and the conversations that we're having? One thing that I like to always focus on is like, who are the practitioners that know some of this stuff and it's the people on this call and others that are part of the community and crew. And what I think is going to be really transformative is to keep having these frank conversations that aren't that aren't like conference style presentations where we you know tell you how amazing things are and we show you a nice cake, but rather conversations that are a lot more tactical where we show the recipe, like how you know in the case that you know maybe Victor has pulled off some amazing you know consumer oriented service line, I want Victor to not just tell me about it, but like. What are the steps you took and the tools you use to get there? And I have always found, especially when I go to conferences or other innovation forums, we never get to that level. 
where it's usually just people, you know, telling these amazing stories, which are great and we need to be inspired. But what I'm really hoping to see is through this community and hopefully through other areas in the industry that we actually start to get to like the tactical tool and call it project management level to teach each other new tools, new methodologies, you know, new ways of thinking. Like, you know, we're hearing from Jill and Terry uh, to actually get us to where we need to be. Yeah, it's really shifting our focus from, I mean, I think we're traditionally talking about what are we doing? What is it that you, you know, what are you doing? And I think shifting it to the why, which we covered already on this call, like it's really, you know, we understand the why and moving that conversation to the how. So I echo what you say, Zane. I think we have an opportunity. There is a lot of noise out there around consumerism. You ought to do this. If you don't do that, this is doomsday. So there's a lot of noise. So I believe we have an opportunity to be that beacon of hope that we are not, you know, engaging in the hype or as I call it, the horror picture. You know how we all grew up watching whatever your favorite horror picture. And it was scary, but you knew that it was uh, actually a fake. So we have to turn it to where everyone sees that this is an opportunity and not continue down this path to say, you're going to be disrupted, you're going to be disrupted, the world is going to come to an end. So we have to help build that bridge. So one of the things that we can do is that we have to encourage, let's call them the incumbents, that they can no longer be comfortable navel-gazing. Mm-hmm. Is that they see the world from the way they view it from inside out. And we have to shift to make things work, you know, outside in. Going back to your earlier point, we need to have a shared vision that leads to cooperation and cooperation. This independent, let me solve this problem independently. How can we uh, be that glue that inspires the respective audiences and teams and merging and come together to uh, solve some of the existing challenges Also, how can we help influence people to get proximate to the problems and go into the communities and really understand what is going on in order to bring that back in and design the the best possible experience? And while I'm on experience, how can we be that catalyst for the experience to be one that is based upon empathy, empathetic design, so we can make sure that we truly understand the individual, the consumer, and the human, and make healthcare experiences designed with them in the forefront. I love that. It's We use the word, the healthcare system, and it's really right that we need to redefine what the healthcare system looks like. It's mm-hmm. what is that system of care look like from the patient's perspective, from the person's perspective? What does health look like from their perspective? And what are all the pieces of that system? And it's not just the healthcare system as we know it and the hospitals and the providers and insurance. It's the CVSs of the world and it's the out of industry, those that are also interacting with the patients. And so how can we bring all of those groups together and create a new system that really works for the patient? And in that system, Terry, too, we really need to think about data and who does the data really belong to and and think about democratizing that as well as, you know, the policy and legislative factors that that sort of tie into all of this conversation that that underlie the way that the infrastructure is built today. I love that you say that. The data privacy, it's the one thing that people shy away from so quickly when I have conversations 
when we talk about let's link the website to the patient portal so there's one login and oh HIPAA HIPAA right it, it's a scary unknown thing but if we just have the conversation I've seen on uh, some of the companies that we work with are having really good conversations with our compliance teams to move that conversation mm. forward and put us on the right right track and you just got to start the conversation and then I think it unfolds from there. What do you hope we're celebrating one year from now? I mean, in the intro to this episode, I issued an, a challenge that by the 300th episode that will make some major progress as an industry, but that was a kind of a macro thing, right? So as specific as you want, what do you hope we're celebrating one year from now? I think in the spirit of breaking down silos, one year from now, I would hope that an episode, a podcast like this would have a representation from both people inside the healthcare industry, like all of us today, but also good representation from those who are outside the healthcare industry, or that the whole definition of healthcare industry has been redefined to the point that there are no silos anymore. Uh, cooperation, uh, the, you're not going to change a $4 trillion industry that impacts hundreds of millions of people by yourself or independently. The winners in healthcare a year from now will be those that actually work together and solve some of the most pressing issues. I like that. I think for me, super tactically, I'll be excited and they may have already done it. I haven't been following the news, but if CMS keeps the payment structure in line with some of the telehealth, sorry, some of the telehealth reimbursement that they've had through this public health crisis, I hope that stays because I think that'll continue to enable a lot of some of the transitions we've seen in the uptake and use of telehealth, which it's obviously a lot more consumer centric. Maybe that's too specific, but that's what I'm will be excited about in a year if we see it happen. Yeah, I mean, I think echoing what Victor said, I think that this is like a it's a long haul, right? Like this is a very large industry. It's going to take some time. So I'm trying to taper my enthusiasm and motivation for a future state with sort of what's the reality of of like what can we actually expect to accomplish in a year as maybe as this group, maybe not necessarily looking at it at the whole industry. And so if I'm going to get super granular, you know, just thinking about experience and experience design, shifting the mentality in healthcare toward considering the experience first when they're making new decisions. So maybe for their net new redesigns of certain, you know, certain things that they're working on, that they're leveraging experience design and this whole silos and cooperation piece is like seeing more cross-functional fusion teams, you know, not just within a health system, but externally to health systems and introducing the players that Terry was talking about into those fusion teams as we think about redesigning small components of healthcare and on a attainable but still, I think a reach goal is if this group can really name a future state vision that's starting to be, you know, lending itself into sort of strategy and tactics to be able to accomplish that, like as a cooperative. I think that that would be interesting. So much to think about, uh, all of you. Thanks so much for that. I think if I had one one last thing to share in terms of what, what I hope we're celebrating, it's kind of a combination of a couple of things that you all just mentioned. But I hope there's kind of an unlock among those of us who who are on the inside of the industry, who are not on the clinical side, but very much support the clinical side, even either directly or, or you know, or we have in the past. But there's this big unlock I see as an opportunity for those of us who have this unique perspective, being on the inside, supporting healthcare every day, and yet also 
being consumers of healthcare ourselves. It's this unique perspective of not just kind of shouting at the industry to say, change, 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 but be able to say, well, we know that it's not that easy. So let's temper that, but here's some starting points and what can we do? Like, let's have some, some better conversations around that. So that's definitely one, one thing I'd throw in there in terms of that unlock. I think there's a potential for those of us who are in consumerism, innovation, technology, human-centered design, experience design, digital teams, business strategy, marketing. There's an endless number of teams that, that I almost think don't get enough credit and focus in terms of the ideas that are that are sitting there every day that you guys like. They were all like, hey, if we could just do this part of the experience differently, then we'd be in a better place. So I'm hoping to see that unlock as part of one of the things that we're celebrating. All of you, Jill, Zane, Terry, Victor, thanks for being a part of this. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.